Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Welcome back to the podcast and thank you very, very much for listening. This is going to be a good one. Today's guest has had multiple marketing and sales roles with companies like Kyogen, Illumina, and Life Technologies, now Thermo Fisher. He's currently a director of market development at Syracare, and I was interested in talking to him because he's had um, because I've seen some of his content from Thermo Fisher, and he has a very broad background. The focus of our conversation was about things marketers can do to help their own careers, as well as how they can make a difference for their own companies. Before we get started, I want to thank my sponsor partner. The Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. ACPLS provides marketing, sales, and customer service professionals an international forum for the exchange of knowledge, including opportunities for ongoing education, networking, and professional development. Those networking and development opportunities have been very valuable to me personally, and I believe would be equally valuable to anyone listening to this podcast. To learn more, visit acp-ls.org and while you're there subscribe to the newsletter to receive content and activity updates now let's get back to the show dale yuzuki welcome to life science marketing radio thank you for having me all right i'm really excited about this today we're going to talk a little bit about um, leadership and career development for marketers in the life sciences so first of all just so everybody knows um, who I'm talking to, tell me a little bit about your background. You started out as a microbiologist and then got a master's in education. I'll let you take it from there. Sure. When I was an undergraduate at UCLA, I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and uh, become a high school teacher instead of going to medical school. And becoming a science teacher, I worked in Orange County, California for a couple years. This was uh, way back when the genetic engineering revolution was just beginning. Uh, This was in the late 80s, early 90s. I knew there was a lot going on in terms of uh, biotechnology as an industry. And after the second year of teaching honors chemistry, physics, biology, it was, you know, there is a lot more in, in the real world not to say that high school uh, education isn't um, affecting the real world, it certainly does, but it's affecting it in a different way in terms of people rather than sort of the industry. So I went back to graduate school at San Francisco State, um, decided not to uh, go pursue a PhD even though I got into a couple programs because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the PhD. Even back then, it was do I want to devote a life uh, to a, uh, my life to a career in research And it wasn't clear to me uh, whether or not I would really love sort of the research side of things, especially after like three years away from sort of an undergraduate education and laboratory experience. So after two years, finished a master's degree at at San Francisco State and then started working on the academic side of things as, uh, frankly, as a research technician and then having more and more responsibility um, in San Francisco Bay Area for a while in immunology and then down in uh, Santa Monica at a cancer institute. And then in 2003, there was a number of changes. Um, Certainly it was the Human Genome Project had been finished, 
there was a whole rearrangement as vendors had to rearrange their or adjust their expectations in terms of sales. The human proteomics uh, efforts, you know, were a bit slow to get off the ground. Several of my uh, supervisors and colleagues went to move to San Diego area in 2002, 2003 to work for a small company, a startup at that time known as Illumina. And at that time, 2003, there was maybe 100 employees uh, selling uh, oligos and plates and competing against Operon, but at the same time, working on their first product and their first customer, an 1152plex, it was a, a high-throughput genotyping uh, using a technology called Golden Gate on uh, fiber optic arrays. And these Centrix arrays, uh, they had one customer lined up, which happened to be the Sanger Institute. So here it is. I moved to San Diego with a one-year-old child and uh, ended up at Illumina for six or seven years. First in uh, product management roles there in San Diego, 2005, moved out here in the Maryland area where I was sold to the NIH, both for the first, that first human one genotyping bee chip. But here it is. I'm getting into the fun part of working in life sciences. Uh, frankly, from a career point of view, I remember as an undergraduate at UCLA thinking, well, I do really uh, well in, in physics and in, in mathematics, so I could go into engineering like my older brother did. But this life science thing, it just seems so open-ended. It just seems so creative. It just seems so yet unexplored territory. And in the ensuing decades, I can say that, yes, it is unexplored territory. Yes, we are in the beginning of a genomics revolution. And these are very, very, very early days as far as seeing the full fruits of the Human Genome Project. And maybe I sound a lot like Francis Collins when he gets up and, and shares about the NIH direction with regard to personalized medicine, with regard to all these frontiers of science that the NIH and in private industry are pushing forward. But these are amazing days for anybody to be involved, either on the research side or on the applied side in terms of corporate research or on the vendor side in terms of, of life science. Um, just a, a, a thumbnail uh, in sales, uh, key account sales for Illumina through the end of 2008, uh, pursued an opportunity with Raindance Technologies uh, in the early days in the year 2009. In 2010, was a solid sales specialist for the Southeast with Life Technologies and then with Ion Torrent, uh, and then about a last year and a half, been doing content marketing for Life, Life Technologies, uh, launched uh, the Behind the Bench blog underneath Accelerating Science for Thermo Fisher, and then just six months ago uh, joined a new position as Director of Marketing, uh, Market Development Oncology for Seracare uh, to help them commercialize uh, uh, precision medicine products, uh, particularly with regard to oncology and reference materials. So that's where I am today, in a nutshell. Yeah. So a, a lot of different roles you've had in your in your career. So um, what I want to ask you next is: so standing in your marketing shoes and looking back at all those things you just described to us, from doing customer um, tech support, being a product manager at Kyogen, then at Illumina, and doing sales, um, what has been the most helpful to you? I'd say that one of the most valuable skills is knowing how to sell things. By that I mean knowing how to persuade people and recognize value of what you have and being able to persuade others on the value of what you have. And I think in, from, a, from a marketing point of view, 
it's when you're in front of a customer and the customer is saying, well, you're offering me this and this and this and it does this and this and this and it costs this. Uh, why should I get you versus somebody else? Because they're offering this and they're offering the other. And I think for a marketer, that was, I'd say, the most valuable experience I've had. And that was being, I mean, a good six years in different sales roles from either sort of a local rep to sort of an overlay position where you're a technical specialist. It is extremely valuable to understand what is the value of what I have. And that kind of experience and that kind of knowledge, I mean, there are people who dip their toes into sales. They'll do it for a year. They'll do it for two years. I'd say that's not enough. You might say, well, isn't two years enough? But I think of the best marketers that I know may have just an innate kind of instinct that may be just natural, right? Maybe that is. But so much of sales is a combination of, of natural ability and talent combined with, again, a, a, a real-world uh, understanding of what makes customers tick, what makes customers buy, and then being able to help inform that effort to where a marketing person standing in front of a group of salespeople, they can quickly discern who has sort of street smart understanding of what is going on versus those who don't. And you just can't get that from reading a book. You just can't get that from taking classes. You get that from carrying the bag and talking to customers. Now, I understand in a marketing role, right, they may want to do ride-alongs and, you know, kind of see certain customers, but it is a different kind of role, right? They're diving in to, to explore particular customers' problems or, or, or throw out a few new product ideas, but it is sort of a bit different task. And, and of course, they, they get market intelligence. They see it from a particular uh, method. But I'd say as far as that aspect of the most valuable thing, I'd say it's those years of experience that uh, stand uh, in good stead for anybody. Yeah, so it sounds like it's not just um, – it might not always be the same thing, but it's uh, being challenged eyeball to eyeball with a customer to say what, what makes your thing different. And the answer might not be the same, so you have to understand based on their challenge – the thing about your product that makes it different. Yeah, and and there are certain instances, right, where in a business like ours, when you have, all you have is a hammer, you're looking for other nails, right? Everything looks like a nail to you. Uh, But it's really the deep understanding of what the customer's problems are, and there are still many, many unsolved problems. Nice, yeah. So I'm interested to learn about um, one of your biggest challenges and what you learned from it. And I don't mean the most difficult sales or marketing challenge, but a career challenge. So was there ever a moment you thought you weren't heading in the right direction, felt stuck in your path? How did you deal with something like that? That's a really good question, right? Because it's like a typical career uh, interview type of question. But here it is, you're talking about you know challenges within the career, and I'd say that it was probably that move from Los Angeles area to San Diego in 2003. Uh, uh, Kaijin was going through some major reorganization, and I was asked as a marketing person to gain sales experience. So isn't that ironic that I just told you that the most valuable thing I did in my marketing career was to go into sales? And the director of marketing at the time was making it very clear that she wanted her marketing people to have sales experience. 
However, I didn't feel it was the right time, company, opportunity, technology for me to go from marketing into sales for Kyogen also with the expectation that it was going, going, only going to be a year or two and then cycle back in. I felt that, well, yes, sales is going to be in my future. I didn't know exactly how it was going to be in my future, uh, but that uh, it, was, I was not, it was just not the right time. And therefore, when I uh, had an opportunity to go into a product management kind of role in terms of it was more development-oriented rather than tactical, and I make the distinction, right, because you have product management roles that are more along the lines of market development, customer-facing activities and collateral and, and exhibits and those kinds of things, you know, promotion, sales training versus the product development piece, which is more along the lines of traditional product manager, and now a lot of companies split the two roles, right? You have product right. managers who manage the product and development inside, and then you have people who are doing the customer-facing activities outside. In my current role today, I'm combining both, okay. right? Serica is just having me do both, which is fine. It's a lot of fun. I get to reassemble the pieces in a, in a new way. Uh, and yet, you know, there that was a bit of a sort of a, a career challenge. And of course, whenever somebody ch uh, changes geographies, you know, what, you know, uh, impacts it has. And yet what flexibility it offers career path wise, if you're free to relocate. And frankly, you know, for, for people listening, maybe they're in a, so to speak, smaller market where the opportunities for life science companies is not so great. Yes, it kind of comes with the territory in terms of, of you know, the, the uh, geographies go, and, and those are hard choices, and I appreciate the, the challenge. And for Illumina, it was a situation where um, I was able to move from a sale, uh, marketing role into a field sales role, but, but then the opportunity was a big one. And I told my wife moving to San Diego, oh, hey, if Illumina doesn't work out, you know, there are other companies I can work for, what have you. And two and a half years, years later, it's, you know, there's this neat opportunity. There's this thing called whole genome genotyping and genome-wide association, which is ready to take off. And they had a, an opening for the Mid-Atlantic area, and uh, it would be covering sort of National Institutes of Health. Yeah. So where... Where do you think, and this, you may have talked about this in the sales part, but if it's not that, we should go into it a little bit more. So where do you think marketers have the biggest opportunity to improve their skills and help their companies and their own careers? Well, it, I think one of the things, I think as far as the marketing that I see, and, and I just came back from a molecular pathology meeting in, in Austin, Texas, and I think... I think about marketers and what poor marketing looks like. I went to a couple of vendors' workshops, and their choice of speakers was just outright poor in that the speakers were talking about topics that did not relate to the customer's problems. And in terms of the kind of improvement of skills and marketing skills, I challenge people who are listening to this, do you know what your customers are doing? Do you keep up on the reading of your customers, meaning the, their publications? Do you read science and nature? Are you a hardcore science nerd geek? Whatever, right? Yeah. Because it's on that aspect that I find a great amount of ignorance upon, among marketing people and a great amount of carelessness 
in their marketing because they don't understand the application area that they should be experts in. They don't understand the challenges that customers face and then to be able to choose a, a, a customer speaker who can have something that they're working on that's in alignment with that. Of course, they're not going to be sort of an, an advertisement for you. They're going to talk about their work, but it's got to illustrate some of the value of the things that you're, you're selling in the marketplace. And that kind of disconnect of not knowing what your customers are doing indicates, wow, they're just out of touch, right? They're not talking to customers. They're not engaging customers with their problems and therefore, they're not meeting customers' needs with products, right? Right. They're not positioning it right. They're not messaging it right. They're not kind of connected to that. And you might say, well, how does somebody get started? How do they become better engaged? And it's, well, so much information is available for free now. I mean, so much of it is available via the power of just being online, not to mention the fact that nature and science are published every week, right? Right. Here it is. You might say, well, it's, it's too much. It's all too much. Well, yes, welcome to the real world. It is all too much, but if you want, if you want to market effectively to your customer base, you will be reading your customers' papers. You will be familiar with their problems. You'll see how your products are being used, right? Do I expect you know, a person to become you know, completely... Uh, up to speed in a matter of a week, no, it takes a lot of hard work. And I tell my daughter, yeah, hard work hasn't killed anybody, but it scares a lot of people. <laughs> and hard work, it, really, if it just frightens people to death, right? They'll do anything than to sit down and read. They'll do anything but go to the poster sessions and take a look around in terms of what's going on. I mean, I, I admit I don't spend as much time among the posters as I need to. Uh, but nonetheless, the hour that I spent looking through the posters at molecular pathology were invaluable. They were so valuable because I'm seeing sort of what my competition is doing. I'm seeing what uh, other customers are doing with uh, you know this kind of, of analysis, right? Yep. Okay. So I'm going to go back to something you said right at the beginning of that, and that was um, – having a, an experience at a conference where um, a customer is speaking on behalf or a, a company has brought in someone to speak mm -hmm. and they were out of touch with what their customers need. So how, I'm curious how that happens. Did they pick a high-profile customer who's doing something that isn't um, really the thing that will most benefit their business or – it was uh, confusing to me for this one workshop I'm, I had in mind with regard to, yeah, it may have been interesting from a scientific point of view, but maybe not so applicable for how their customers are using their product every day. It, maybe I'll put it this way. It was an unusual use case yeah. of that company's product. And you don't want unusual use cases. You don't want this sort of esoteric, out-on-the-limb this big name brand customer, right, was using our product in this unusual kind of way. Right. Because it's not that applicable to the normal attendee of the conference, right? Yes. Who is looking for information that's going to help them with their day job. I'm, I'm not interested in it, particularly in a, a very clinically focused meeting like molecular pathology. 
you know, maybe if it were experimental biology with new techniques, right? You get, you know, right. customers that are going to be, you know, all over the place, You're right? You're trying to expand your market, but yeah, sounds but like you. And really, it was this aspect of, of well, we want to share information and to share customer applications that are relevant. And then it gets back to, well, what is the end state? I mean, it, it's not complicated, right? What is it I want the customer to come out with? If I want a customer to describe a workshop, you know, how would they describe it in one sentence as far as, you know, right. what is that call to action? You know, what is that memorable one-liner they want to come out with? And, you know, this is not rocket science, right? You might say, oh, Dale, so much of what you're saying sounds like common sense. It's like, well, yes, but, right, the common sense may not be all that common, uh, because, you know, in whatever thinking that has gone through, yeah, you have to think through it. Yep. So, And on that note, it is content that drives interest. Yeah. That's and I had a large conversation, right, with a, a good friend at Thermo, and we think very much alike, which is everybody's talking about content marketing, right? But all they're doing is thinking of the marketing piece, of content marketing. They're not thinking about the content piece of content marketing. Why? The content piece of content marketing is hard work. It is hard work to stay at a conference on a Saturday, right? Picking up everything I can with regard to where the field is going. It is hard work to get up at 6.30 or be, you know, get out of your hotel room at 6.30 to, sh to show up for an early bird session at 7 in the morning. And yet, so many marketers are not thinking about the content. It's like they're they're not thinking. They're just thinking of the transportation of the goods. They're not thinking of the goods, right? They're yeah. focused on trucks, on planes, on tr on on rail, on on buses, but they're not thinking about what all that cargo is, you know. And that's the really valuable stuff to the end user. It is the content, right? And I think that um, there is a real danger, right, for marketers to just be worried about the publishing platforms and just the mechanisms of tactics. And what life science marketing needs is not more tactic-generating machines. No, we don't need that. What we need is people with content, regardless, right, of what science is doing today and where science is going, right? And even on that amplification or the curation of content or the editorial, you know, people you know people talk about thought leadership. Yeah, you need to have original thinking for thought leadership. And where do you get original thinking? So much of it is from customers. But yes, companies have a, a role to play there as far as uh, message amplification and curation and people going. You know, in, in this market today, it's a big world of different sort of competing. Uh, avenues for attention, but if you've got a trusted brand of content, people will go to you. And as far as the future of marketers go, in terms of professional development goes, there is a direct relationship between the quality of your writing and the quality of your reading, right? And you say, well, okay, I'm a good writer or whatever, but no, I'm a quality reader. i got to make sure that the stuff I'm reading is good, right? And then yes. you say, well, what's the good stuff? And then you say, well, you know, what kind of diet do you want? I mean, there are people, and I, I don't know, I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but there are people who live on hors d'oeuvres. And I would just go crazy if all I did was snack my way through life. Th that is just no way to live, 
is just on snacks, right? I mean, can you imagine your whole life just being <laughs> snacks? And yet, from a marketing point of view, right, from a content point of view, there are people who are just snacking their way through their career. And let me challenge those of you who are listening here, your marketers, your professionals, you know, step up and get real meals, right? Genuine meals, full course meals. Don't be afraid to do the hard work. And, you know, it's, it's an uh, interactive kind of thing. And I think the other thing on the writing is it takes an enormous amount of practice, an enormous amount of practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, well, we could do a whole podcast on writing and blogging and, and the tools that you could use to gather ideas and, and create good content. And, I mean, I'll share right now, I'm taking three copywriting courses right now <laughs> just to improve my own skills in that area. And that's not even something I sell. It's just something I want to get good at. Uh, yeah, and on that note, maybe we'll finish with that, is this culture of learning, this idea of always improving and you know, in, in, enlarging the boundaries and from wherever you can, right, is so important to go ahead and, and just do it, right? Just learn. I mean, there's so many resources available for that kind of career development and improvement. You know, even, uh, you know, the things that you do for fun, right? It might be a programming class. You know, where that could lead, I don't know. But I took a programming class myself, and it was really, really informative because I understood, you know, these kinds of things can really help in unexpected ways. So, you know, that idea of, from a company point of view, how could they improve their marketing, marketer skills? Yeah, how do they get that culture of learning? How do they get encourage their employees to take advantage of every opportunity to have classes either formally or informally? How can people right have lunch and learns and different other ways for people to to help that cross functional learning? Uh, even people that make sort of sideways moves in their careers, right? Just to learn new things in new roles. You know, all these things are valid ways to learn. Yeah. So that's all been hugely helpful. I'm going to um, connect a link to the your blog at Sarah Care and uh, your personal blog at Next Great. Generation Technologist. I'll put the link in for that. Before we go, do you have any one piece of advice for listeners who want to be leaders in their organization? Maybe it's just this quote from Brian Tracy. The more you learn, the more you earn. <laughs> You can't go wrong with that. Can't go wrong with that. All right. Well, Dale Yuzuki, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I thank you very much for all that insight on um, professional development, the importance of good content, and, and how to get it. Thanks a lot, Chris. This is a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you, listeners, as always, very much for joining us. Remember that a rating or review on iTunes is very much appreciated. And I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.